Father, we do thank you that you sent your son into this world because you love the world. And Lord, we thank you that we have this marvellous message before us, that if we believe in Jesus, we can have eternal life. Lord, we pray that you may help us to know Jesus better as we study your word together. And we pray that this may help us then to be able to imitate him and to be more Christ-like in the way that we live. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Do you like to talk? Do you like to talk a lot? In our family, uh, there is one child who loves to talk. And we have actually worked out that it is an effective disciplinary action to prevent this person from talking if we want them to do something. One child, it's a case of no video games until you accomplish something. The other child is no talking until your dinner is finished or whatever the task is at hand. And this child will do anything to be able to regain the privilege of talking because they love to talk so much. Some of us love to talk. Some of us not so much. But even those of us who do like to talk, I think sometimes we can find it quite scary to talk about particular subjects. We're keen to talk on some subjects but not others. And one particular subject that I think gives a lot of people fear to talk about is, of course, to talk about Jesus Christ, to witness to others about who Jesus is and what he has done. This morning, we're going to be looking at Jesus and how he witnesses to this Samaritan woman that he has been speaking to as we've been working through John 4 together. In previous weeks, we've been slowly working through, looking at a couple of verses at a time, and trying to understand what Jesus has to say to us as he speaks to the Samaritan woman. We can learn much from Jesus as he speaks to this woman. We can almost pretend to be the woman and listen to the words that he says to her as they apply to us. We are sinful creatures, just like the woman is a sinful creature, the Samaritan woman that Jesus is engaging. And so we too can learn from Jesus what we are to do with our lives, just as the woman is learning their applications for her life from Jesus himself. And so we've slowly worked through and drawn much that we can dwell upon and understand from Jesus and how we can apply it in our own lives. Now that we've come to verse 26, and we finished that last time I spoke on this chapter, we then move into verse 27 and following when the disciples actually come back and the conversation ends. And so what I thought would be helpful, since I've now uh, worked up to verse 26, is to actually go back to verse 7 and following and work through this passage, do a whole chunk in one go, 19 verses, which is quite a lot for me, uh, considering how slowly I move at times, go back over this text and look at what we can learn from Jesus as to how we are to witness to others. As we've worked through the passage, we've been looking at what does Jesus say to us if we are like the Samaritan woman. Now I want to go back through and pretend that we are going to be like Jesus and speak to an unbeliever. If we are going to be like Jesus and speak to unbelievers, what can we learn from Jesus as the greatest witness on the planet who has ever been and ever will be? He has examples for us that we can learn from so that we can witness to others. To those, for those opportunities when we have to speak about Jesus, when we want to talk about Jesus, but we don't know exactly what to say or how to bring up the subject of Jesus... How can we learn from Jesus himself what to do in those situations? And so I have 13 main points this morning, which seems like a lot 
because it is a lot, but they're going to be very brief points as we quickly move through the passage and get basically tips from Christ on how we can witness to others about him. So what are those tips? Well, we'll start with number one. And if you want to follow my main points, they're there, of course, in the church bulletin on the third page there, all 13 of them. And I've even put little verse numbers after them so that you can see where I'm getting the idea from the text, where I'm getting the tip from the text. What's the first one? Talk about a common interest. If you want to talk to someone about Christ, often it's best to just talk about a common interest with that person before you bring up the subject of Christ. And we see that in verse 7. So Jesus sits down at the well in verse 6, and then in verse 7 we read, When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Will you give me a drink? Does that have anything to do with Jesus? Shouldn't he have said, I am the Christ? Shouldn't that be the first thing that he says to this woman? No, that comes much later on. The first thing he says to her is, Will you give me a drink? And often that's how you're meant to start a conversation with someone. You might have the agenda of bringing Christ into the conversation at some point, but firstly, start with some sort of common interest and find that common interest with them. What sort of common interest can you find with a complete stranger or with a friend? Well, food and drink is a good place to start. That's what Jesus is doing here. Will you give me a drink? He's starting with a common interest of all men. All men are pretty, men and women I mean in that, all humans are interested in food and drink because, of course, our bodies are interested in food and drink. Some people seem to be able to suppress that desire to some extent and they eat just to have strength. But generally speaking, particularly in the Western world, there are so many yummy things that we're generally interested in food and drink. So find a common interest. And it might be just food and drink. Uh, Even last Sunday, I was speaking to someone after church uh, who I don't know too well, but the conversation pretty much revolved completely around the subject of donuts. We spoke about donuts. We spoke about different types of donuts, different donuts that I like to eat, when do I like to eat them, where do I get them from, which types of places sell donuts that I particularly like, and uh, when are their best prices, when do they have leftover donuts that you can get really cheap. I love donuts, and this person loved donuts too, so I spent quite a bit of the time talking about donuts with this person because I have a common interest with them and I'm starting to build up a relationship with that person. But it may not be that donuts are your subject of choice. It may be that you speak about the weather. Uh, The weather's always a good thing, particularly if it's bucketing down or really hot. Uh, It's a good way to start a conversation. Even here, we see in this text, it was was hot time of day. It was the sixth hour. Of course you want a drink at that time of day. Of course this woman would be wanting a drink at that time of day. It may be family. I find it's very easy, particularly if you've got kids and they've got kids, to talk about kids. Kids are a great subject of conversation. You can talk about family. You can talk about holidays. People love holidays or countries that you've been to. Um, Hobbies are a bit harder to speak about because um, you may not share a similar interest, particularly things like sport. I find them very difficult to talk on because I'm not interested in sport. Video games, books, movies, TV shows. If you can find something that you can relate to that person on that you like as well, then it's a good way to begin a conversation with the person so that you can bring Christ up with them. And I mean have a genuine interest in that thing. Don't just pretend to have an interest in something. Find something that you really do like, that you are definitely interested in, and have a conversation with them about that. So that's tip number one. Talk about a common interest. What's another thing that you can do? Take advantage of privacy. Take advantage of privacy. And we see that in verse 8. It's actually explicitly mentioned in the text that his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. This conversation takes in the context of 
privacy, where it's only Jesus and the woman that are speaking. Not everyone wants to talk about spiritual matters with an audience. Be aware of this. Um, It's sometimes the wrong thing to do is to bring up Christ with someone if there's a whole bunch of people listening into the conversation. Generally speaking, people will talk about spiritual matters much more freely if they know it's just you and that other person. And so sometimes you'll be wanting to bring up Christ with someone, but all you can really do is talk about a common interest with the view that later on, at some other point in the future, you'll be able to have a conversation with them. But if you find yourself in a position where you're one-on-one with someone, it may be that you're in a group function and there's lots of other people around, but you realise that pretty much no one can hear your conversation, take advantage of that. That's what Jesus has done. The disciples are going into town to buy food. This woman walks up and he starts to discuss spiritual matters with her because of the advantage of privacy that has arisen before him. And I encourage you to do that as well. Um, Even yesterday, I was talking to someone and as soon as I realised no one else could hear, I then turned the conversation. This person was a Christian, but I turned the conversation to spiritual matters because I know that it's much easier for that person to talk about such things when no one else is listening. That's tip number two, take advantage of privacy. Tip number three, don't get sidetracked with cultural barriers. Don't get sidetracked with cultural barriers. And we see that in verse nine. The woman's trying to uh, offload the conversation. She's trying to turn it away. We see that in verse nine. The Samaritan woman said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. She's trying to shut the conversation down because of cultural barriers. And when we looked at this text uh, in... um, few months ago, we looked at the cultural barrier of him being a Jew, her being a Samaritan, and him being a man, and her being a woman, and their isolated context that they're in. Some people will not want to talk to you because of cultural barriers. There can be prejudices of race, social class, gender that are coming forward, and so the person tries to shut down the conversation. Try to push through those barriers if you can, just as Jesus did here. One cultural barrier that I struggle with myself is age, particularly children. It's easy to just think of children as not real people and you don't really have to engage them. And one of the times where I I really became aware of this is when I went to a conference last year and I heard a missionary uh, speaking at that conference about the differences between Australia and the country that she was working in as a missionary. Uh, She was in Argentina. And... It was, uh, so it was a, minister's, uh, a missionary's wife that was speaking and it was pretty much the whole tent was filled with women who were interested in how it is to take a family, she had kids, over to another country and how you can manage that. And she said that one of the things that she notices uh, between Australia and Argentina is that when you walk into a room, you go to some sort of family function in Argentina, the people greet everyone in the room, including the kids. They'll have a kiss for the kids. They will acknowledge the kids by name. They will say hello to everyone. Where she recognises now that she's been over in Argentina for a while and come back, she's an Australian, she suddenly realised that Australians don't do that. They walk into a room, they'll say hello to the adults, but they won't say hello to the children. They overlook the children, which is a cultural barrier. We should be saying hello, being friendly to children. Children need to hear about Jesus too. And this is something I struggle with, even having kids of my own. I started to uh, enjoy kids more, having kids of my own, but it's not something that I've gone naturally to. And we've got to identify those barriers and try to overcome them. 
So tip number three, don't get sidetracked with cultural barriers. Tip number four, relate the common interest to spiritual significance. Relate the common interest to spiritual significance. Jesus has brought up the subject of water. Then what does he do in verse 10? Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And as we studied this, we've seen the the way that he's talking about physical water, but now then talking about spiritual water. And we can do this as well. You can establish a common interest with the person. You can talk to them about that. But then there's usually a way of spinning the conversation in a direction of Jesus Christ. And that can be to do with spiritual food. If you're talking about donuts or something else, you can say, isn't it wonderful that God gives us all these types of uh, food that we can enjoy today? You can bring God in very easily as he is the creator of all things. Whatever you're talking about, God is involved in that in some way. You can also just pop God is good into a conversation. As they're talking about something really good, you say, isn't God good that that actually occurs? Um, When you're speaking about what you did on the weekend, what you did last night, if you went to church, if you went to Bible study, if you read a really good theological book last night, talk about it. Uh, Bring it up. If they ask you, what did you do with your weekend? And it seems to be a common interest that you've got in of what you did with the weekend. We all love weekends. Um, Then talk about what you did with your weekend if it involved God. And hopefully it does if you're a Christian that you went along to church Um, And, of course, the sinfulness of man, the doctrine of sin, you can bring into most conversations as well. Because if you look at the news, you look at what's happening in people's lives, there's sin all around them. People are engaging in sinful practices. There's wars, there's acts of terrorism happening, there's family battles that are going on in people's lives, and you can just put in the conversation, aren't humans sinful? You can just throw it in there. It may not be that you're talking about their sin, but you can talk about others, and there's And the conversation can move in a spiritual direction. And so this may sound provocative, but don't be afraid to be provocative. Um, It's something that we tend to steer away from, is talking about religion. We like to talk about other things, but we don't like to talk about religion. And we're told at dinner conversations, there's two things you're not supposed to talk about, religion and politics. Why is that? Because people get heated about it. But why do they get heated about it? Because it's such important stuff. Politics, it's going to affect you what you do with your vote. And religion is going to affect you as to what's going to happen to you in the next life. People get worked up about it because they're such important issues. And so we need to be willing to raise provocative issues so that we can have a reasonable conversation with them. Not every conversation has to get heated about religion and politics. You can actually have reasonable conversations with people. And so it may seem provocative you'd be surprised at how often you bring up such a subject, and it's not provocative, that people actually thank you afterwards for talking about such issues. They say, you know, so many people don't seem to care about such issues. But I really enjoyed having that conversation with you, that we could talk about such significant issues. So relate the common interest to a spiritual significance of some sort. Tip number five, don't get sidetracked with criticisms of yourself. Don't get sidetracked with criticisms of yourself. And we see this in verse 11. The woman responds to Jesus talking about uh, the living water. She says, Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? This is a bit of a stab at Jesus. Are you greater than Israel? 
who gave us this well, and you're saying that you've got better water? And Jesus just glides on over it. He doesn't acknowledge this criticism that is laid at his feet. He continues to talk about the strength of his water, as we'll see in a moment. But people can do this. They can attack you instead of the idea that you're presenting because they fear what you're saying. They will attack you. And when criticisms like that come, just glide on over them. Recognize that what they're doing is attacking you rather than the idea. They're afraid of the idea, and to try and remove the idea from their consciousness is to remove the person who brings up the subject. Don't be too scared of criticisms, and when they come, just glide on over them. Uh, Jesus was persecuted for telling the truth, and he says... Won't his disciples be persecuted as well? If that's how they um, treat the teacher, then we as students of the teacher should expect to be persecuted as well. So don't be surprised when it happens, and when it happens, just keep moving the conversation on if you can. Tip number six, bring up the importance of eternal life. Bring up the importance of eternal life. And we see Jesus do this. She criticizes him, and what does Jesus say in verse 13? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Eternal life is one of the things that we're all about as Christians. Eternal life for others, that you want to see them go to heaven, should be one of the great driving forces of you to have a conversation with a person. It should grieve us to consider that there are people who do not have that hope that we have, who are not going to heaven, who will not enjoy eternal life. That should grieve us and want to see them have that eternal life as well. Just as we know the joy of having a place we call home that is not this world, we should want others to have that joy as well. And so we should want to bring up eternal life into the conversation. And you'd be surprised at how many people want eternal life as well. It's an easy thing to talk about in reality if someone is actually hungering for life after death. They want to know what is going to come and have an assurance that that is the case. And you have that knowledge. You know, if you're a Christian, that there is life after the grave. You know that because your Saviour has come with life after the grave. He was raised to life, and so you too will be raised to life. And they can be raised to life if they will repent of their sins and trust in Jesus Christ. Bring up eternal life into the conversation. It should be a driving force. You want to see them saved. You want to see them enjoy eternal life. And it should grieve you to consider that they will experience eternal damnation if they don't embrace Christ, the Christ that you are going to present to them. So tip number six, bring up eternal life. Tip number seven, the more controversial one, bring up sin. Bring up sin. And that's in verses 15 and 18, uh, down to 18. So we see after mentioning eternal life, we read in verse 15, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Jesus moves the conversation into talking about this woman's sin. And we shouldn't be afraid to do so either. We should 
talk to people about the fact that we are sinners, that the rest of humanity are sinners, and they are sinners too. Now, you've got to be careful when you bring the subject up because it is very provocative. People don't like to hear that they are sinners. Some people don't like to hear it from a pulpit. They'd like a pastor. He doesn't mention sin. Sounds depressing. We don't like to hear that we're sinners. But we recognize as Christians that sin is our root problem. And Jesus has come to save us from our sins. He came for the unrighteous, not the righteous. He tells that parable. A doctor comes for the sick, not for the people who are well. Jesus came for sinners. And so we need to bring that subject up with people. Unless people are convicted of their sin, they won't repent of sin. They won't turn from sin if they don't acknowledge that they're a sinner. And so we have to bring it up with them, but we need to be careful about the time that we do so. You can see that Jesus brings it up after the believer is, unbeliever is hooked on what he's saying. He's had quite a few back and forth with her at this point. And then she is shown a real hunger to have what Jesus is giving. She says in verse 15, The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She's actually starting to want something from him, from Jesus. And then he starts to talk about sin. So I would suggest that the first thing you bring up with someone is not sin when you have a conversation with them. Uh, You may talk about other things at first, a common interest. You may then even talk about eternal life and who God is. And then when they show some more interest, that's when it's a really good time to bring up sin so that they can acknowledge that they are a sinner, that they know that you're interested in them. Hopefully they know that you love them somewhat and that when you talk about their problem, it's with a view to loving them and helping them rather than simply judging them as sinners when you're so righteous a person because you're a Christian. Tip number seven was bring up sin. Tip number eight, know how to deal with compliments. Know how to deal with compliments. And we see this in verse 19. The woman gives Jesus a compliment. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. I can see that you are a prophet. Now, she brings this up. This is a compliment to him. It's nice to be told that you're a man of God, that you're a spokesperson for God. And it's interesting, Jesus doesn't actually say anything about it. When we look at what he says next, uh, he doesn't mention the fact that he is a prophet. He doesn't acknowledge this compliment that's come through. And I think sometimes we need to do the same. It's nice to be complimented. If someone says, oh, you're a really clever person, you seem to know a lot, or I really like having conversations with you, it's nice to have that compliment. But be aware that such compliments can cause you to stumble. And sometimes you need to simply move on, as Jesus does here. Sometimes a person may be even flattering you to try and throw you off. Oh, you're such a wise and wonderful person to try and get you to stop talking about their sin, which is what Jesus had just started to speak to this person about. And even Satan can use flattery. It may be a genuine compliment from the person, but it can be used by Satan to give you a pride that then infects the conversation and you start to become overbearing and telling the person what to do because you've received this compliment with them, which then, of course, makes them backtrack, backpedal, because you're starting to dominate the conversation. There's a classic quote um, about John Bunyan. I really like John Bunyan. He's another Puritan. I was mentioning Puritans before. John Bunyan, of course, is famous for his book, Pilgrim's Progress. He wrote a number of other books, uh, which I enjoy as well, but Pilgrim's Progress is his most popular one. And he was a great preacher. Um, People love to hear him preach. And... 
there's this quote from one of the biographies of him, and it says, Mr. John Bunyan, having preached one day with peculiar warmth and enlargement, some of his friends, after the service was over, took him by the hand and could not help observing what a sweet sermon he had delivered. I, said John Bunyan, you need not remind me of that, for the devil told me of it before I was out of the pulpit. He had preached a wonderful sermon, and Satan had whispered to him as he was in the pulpit, you're doing such a good job there, John. Flattering him, causing his pride to come up, that he was such a noble preacher of the word. And so when his friends complimented him as well, he's like, no, it's not about me, it's about Christ. And sometimes we've got to remember that. When we're getting compliments about our witnessing to the person, we've got to watch out for pride, that it can infect the conversation. We're meant to be about Christ being the marvellous one, not about us being a marvellous person. If we say anything helpful to the person, we've got to remember it's only by Christ and the Holy Spirit that we've said anything helpful to that person. They may say we're a marvellous and wise person. If that is indeed the case, it's only because the Holy Spirit used a foolish person like you to sound like a wise person to that person. So we've got to be very careful about compliments. Point number nine, tip number nine. Don't get sidetracked by current controversies. Don't get sidetracked by current Controversies, And we see this in verse 20. She makes a compliment to Jesus in verse 19 and then says in verse 20, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. She's focusing the conversation on a particular controversy of the time that people are concerned about which place should we worship in. And you've got the Samaritan saying it's this mountain, the Jews saying it's that mountain. And the focus has become about which mountain do you worship God on rather than focusing on God himself. And people will do this. You can be talking, having a good conversation with them about heaven, about sin, and they will raise an issue that is very controversial, and they usually do it not because it really keeps them from being a Christian, but because it sidetracks the conversation from something, from the conversation getting too close to the bone, so to speak. And there's lots of questions that will be raised that are good questions to ask, but they're not questions you want to start chasing down. What sort of questions? People ask you, well, what do you think of Israel, the nation of Israel today? And that's kind of what's going on here with the woman at, at the well. She's saying, is it that mountain? Is it this mountain? And there's this huge controversy at the moment. Well, it's been going for many years, uh, centuries even, about whether Israel, the Israelites, should be in the land of Israel. Who does the land of Israel belong to? And what's going to happen in the future? And what's Jesus going to do with the Jews in the future? And these are good questions, and there's parts of the Bible that are dedicated to speaking about such issues. But they're not rabbit holes you usually want to go down with a unbeliever, because usually they're just going to sidetrack the, side the conversation from speaking about their sin, speaking about who Christ is and what he has done, rather than what he is going to do with the land of Israel. Other questions will be like, what about science? Does, doesn't science disprove the Bible? What about the errors in the Bible? There's lots of contradictions in the Bible. No one's been able to show me one of those supposed contradictions yet, but apparently, to most people, they think that there's contradictions all through the Bible. And people ask you about the different cults that are out there, other religions. You know, what about Mormons, JWs, Catholics? What about the Hindus over in India? What about the African who has never heard, who's in the deep part of Africa and never heard about Jesus Christ? 
or in the Amazon rainforest in South America. Never heard about Jesus Christ. What about that person? It's a red herring to put you off. I mean, I do have answers to these questions. And it's good to have conversations about these things at different points. But with an unbeliever, you're not really wanting to go down that path. You're wanting to present Christ to them. You're wanting to convict them of their sin by pointing out their sin to them. You're wanting them to love the concept of eternal life. You're wanting them to consider the primary issues of the Christian faith, not go down tertiary-level issues that really have no bearing on their relationship with the Lord. So point number nine, don't get sidetracked by current controversies. Point number ten, talk about the right way to worship God. Talk about the right way to worship God. And we see that in verses 21 through to verse 24. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and truth. We must worship God in spirit and truth. And you want to convey this to that person, that Christianity is not just an academic thing that is head knowledge. It involves your heart. You need to worship God if you are to follow him. You need to have your heart involved in that. But there's also a truth side to Christianity as well. We're not airy-fairy where we leave reason at the door, where we leave truth at the door, where we just build ourselves up on emotions. No, truth is involved as well. We have a mind and we have a heart. And both must be involved in worship of God. And you want to convey that to the person. You want to convey that we worship something that is true. And we worship it with our whole being, with our soul, with our spirit involved. Tip number 10, talk about the right way to worship God. What's another tip? Number 11, don't let them defer the conversation to a greater authority. Don't let them defer a conversation to a greater authority. Verse 25, we read, The woman said, after Jesus has spoken about the right way to worship, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. What she's saying is, you're a great prophet, but really we need to talk to the Christ. He will be the one that talks to us about the right way. And people will do this. They will say, ah, but who are you to talk about such matters? Or who are we to talk about such matters? About heaven, about hell, about the right way. We can't really know. And after all, what is truth? How do you know that something is true? And they'll start to belittle themselves as people who can't know greater things, and they may even belittle you and say, we really need somebody else to be able to inform us. We need many years of study of the Bible before we can actually understand what it is saying to us, before we can start to put out, dedicate our soul to such teaching. Don't let them defer the conversation. Remember that if you're speaking the truth, if your message is coming from God's word, then there is no greater authority. There is no greater authority. If your message comes from God's word, there is no greater authority. If you are starting to give your opinion on things, then yes, it's right that the person might defer the conversation to a greater authority. But if you're speaking the words of God, 
If you're telling them about sin as the Bible teaches about sin, not as some of the cults teach about sin, where sin is not a big deal at all. If you're teaching what the Bible teaches about sin, then there is no greater authority because this is God's word and there is no greater authority than God. Don't let them defer the conversation to a greater authority. Don't let them say, oh, who, can we, who are we to speak about such things? Yes, who are we to speak about such things? But if we've got God's word, there is no greater authority. And so don't let them defer the conversation if you're using the word of God. What else can you learn from Jesus on how to witness? Point number 12, bring them to Jesus as the Messiah. Bring them to Jesus as the Messiah. And we see that in verse 26. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. She said the Messiah is coming and he says, I am the Messiah. And that's the goal of our conversation ultimately. We want to bring people to Jesus. We want to bring them to the Christ. Why? Because Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only way to have eternal life. Justification comes by faith alone in Christ alone. So we need to bring Christ up in the conversation eventually. We need to present them that Jesus, the man Jesus, is the Christ. And they need to repent of their sins and trust in him. And if that's you here this morning, you're an unbeliever, you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, then know Jesus is the Christ. That the man who lived 2,000 years ago is the Messiah who saves us from our sins. That when he goes to the cross, he's not dying an ordinary death, he's dying an extraordinary death. He is bearing the sins of you if you trust in him. And so I encourage you to do that this morning. Believe in Jesus Christ. Turn from your sins and trust in him. And if you're a Christian and you're witnessing to people and you bring Christ into the conversation, know that you have done your job. You're being faithful to the word. They may reject Jesus as the Christ. And that's their prerogative. And that's God's will at that particular occasion. Your job is not to convert people. We don't convert people. God converts people. Your job is to share about Jesus Christ. Use whatever ways that you can, as Jesus has done here. Use whatever ways you can to bring Christ into the conversation. But know once you've brought Christ into the conversation that you have been faithful in witnessing, even if they end up rejecting Jesus. What's our final point then? Number 13. Tip number 13. Take your time. Take your time. You see here Jesus talks about a bunch of things before he actually mentions the fact that he is the Christ, before he brings this woman to the news that he is the Christ. And that is often the case with us as well. As I said before, you don't bring up certain things in the first moment usually. You take your time with the person. And sometimes that means you don't bring, them, bring Christ up in the first conversation or the second or the third or the fourth, maybe even years of building a relationship depending on how much contact you have with that person. Next-door neighbours are like that. You kind of only bump into them when you're out at the same time. And it takes quite some time to speak to them about who Jesus is and what he has done. But take your time. I think this is where the farming illustrations in the Bible are so helpful. I never really thought about this too much because I wasn't a farmer before. Um, well, I'm not now either. But, uh, but I never really considered those farming illustrations. To an agrarian society, the farming illustrations... Um, 
they would have understood them in a way that I don't, where farming takes time, a lot of time, particularly if you start with a block of land that's got trees all over it and you want to plant an orchard on it. You've got to cut down all those trees, dig up the stumps, then you've got to turn over the soil, you've got to fertilise the soil, you've got to... I mean, I'm only... I, farmers may know more than this, but this is from my understanding. Turn it, fertilise the soil, plant the trees, water the trees, fertilise the trees, more fertiliser, more fertiliser, more watering, more watering, a lot of waiting, particularly if it's fruit trees, before you see any fruit on that tree. It can be years. Years and years. And so the first fruit that comes out... Apparently it's not very good anyway. You've got to wait many years before you actually see good and healthy fruit which you can eat from trees. And so it can sometimes be generations of people working on such things. Like grandfather, he got the block of land, he cleared the trees and he worked very hard and he didn't see much fruit. My dad, he did some more, he turned over, he expanded, he put up the fences, stopped the... Um, vermin, the pests from coming in, the kangaroos that jump fences, that kind of thing. He did some more work and then I've been able to do with my life more on that. And sometimes that's the case with non-Christians. Granddad prayed for so-and-so for years and he's now gone to glory but that person's still with us. Dad witnessed to him as well. He showed him things. But suddenly when grandson comes along and says to great Uncle Joe, do you know who Jesus is? that suddenly eyes are open to the truth. And yet grandfather was involved in it, dad was involved in it, and the grandson was there, and he got to reap the benefit that those others had worked for. And so we've got to remember it takes time. I mean, Jesus gets to it pretty quickly here, ultimately. But he does have other things to say before he gets to the point that he is the Christ. And we have to remember that too. It takes time which means a bit of work on our part. But that's what's required sometimes to bring people to the truth. So there you are, 13 tips from Jesus here as he speaks to this woman on how you can witness to others. And I encourage you to do this, to look at Jesus as the greatest evangelist that ever lived. Study him, learn from Jesus as to how he interacts with others. If you want to interact with others too, And then start to imitate him. We're supposed to be Christ-like in the way that we live. And that includes the way that we witness to others. He is the great evangelist. You've got four Gospels that speak so much about how he interacted with unbelievers. This is just a smattering of that. Study Christ. You want to witness to others? Study Christ, the greatest evangelist. And you can learn much from him on how to witness for him. Let us speak to God now. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this interaction that we were able to read thousands of years after it happened between Jesus and this Samaritan woman. We thank you that we can see ourselves in her. We thank you that we can also see ourselves in him. If we believe in Jesus Christ, then he lives in us and he uses us to witness to those around us. Lord, we pray that we would be as faithful as we can to the example of Christ on how to witness to others. And we pray that ultimately, whenever we interact with unbelievers, we may have a goal in mind of introducing them to Christ. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the first and the last. There is no one greater than him. May we want to introduce as many people as we can to the Saviour. And we pray this in his name. Amen.